If you have your Bibles, we are in the book of Revelation, chapter 3. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. We're going to be finishing up the chapter this morning. We're looking at verses 14 through 22 of Revelation, chapter 3. Again, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and uh, make Stephen walk all over the place. Wait till he gets to the back and then raise your hand in the front. <laughs> I tease them all the time. Anybody else? Okay. Good job, Stephen. <laughs> I just heard that that the, your name actually means laurel leaf, like like the crown that that uh, like they used to get. Anyway. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, Revelation <laughs> chapter three. We're going to be looking at verses fourteen through twenty-two. Uh, let's go ahead and read this text first. Jesus says to the Apostle John, verse 14, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and I have become wealthy and have need of nothing, And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eyesalve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The title of my message this morning is Heating Up a Lukewarm Church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together to be in your word, knowing, Lord, that it's your desire to speak to our hearts, to not only give us information about what's going on when this was written and and who it was written to and all of that, Lord, but to apply these truths to our lives, that as we leave this place this morning, we are changed, we are drawn close to our relationship with you, we are excited about our life with you. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone that has joined us that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again this morning, would you especially touch their heart today? Thank you for our time together, Lord. We just commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, there's really nothing more disagreeable or unappetizing than to be waiting in a restaurant for your food to show up and waiting a little bit longer only to get it to your table and have it be lukewarm. Just, I don't know. And to me, the the most disgusting thing is lukewarm Mexican food. I I, I don't know. I I love Mexican food, but it's got to be hot. Or lukewarm coffee. You know, you go to coffee shops and they have extra hot coffee, or you can get iced coffee, but they never sell lukewarm coffee. Yeah, but lukewarm vanilla latte. Thank you very much. It's disgusting. Sick. Well, it's one way, one thing to feel that way about a drink. It's completely different when God says he feels that way about you or me. Jesus says in verse 16, or so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. 
Remember the old, first time I heard this verse, it was, we were teaching in the old King James, and Jesus speaking says, I will spew you out of my mouth. That sounds so much more proper, doesn't it? Just oh, a little, little spew. Probably British, you know, would say, instead of throwing up, well, you know, I, I'm feeling a bit upset right now. I think I'm going to spew a little bit. Cheerio. <laughs> Cheers. Straight away. Very proper. <laughs> Well, if it's possible for a set of conditions to exist in the church that makes God sick, then we need to know about it so we can avoid it. See, we are here on the last of the seven letters to the seven churches, and it's in the church of Laodicea, this lukewarm church, it's called the apostate church. Now, I believe that in every church, in every age, we can take heed to the warnings that Jesus gave throughout these seven letters that we have looked at. But personally... We must examine our own hearts and our own lives and see, Lord, what does each one of these churches have to say to my heart and my life presently? Not just, you know, practically as a church, but personally. Examine our hearts and see where these warnings might apply to our lives and then embrace the encouragements of these messages. It's like coming to Christ for a spiritual checkup. A physical, you know, which makes sense. Jesus is likened in the gospel to the great physician. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 5, 31 and 32, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I bring this up because our great physician has the prescription that we need to be a healthy church. He gives us the directions to follow on how to heat up a lukewarm church. To be a church on fire for the Lord. So with that, I've divided our study into three points. If you're taking notes, we're going to look at number one, the physician. Number two, the patient. And number three, the prescription. Now again, remember, every one of these churches that we're looking at, be it Ephesus or Smyrna or Laodicea or Thyatira, they were actual churches in Asia, present-day Turkey now, at the time, there was a church of Laodicea. Now, what's interesting about this church in this city is that it had a flourishing clothing industry. They had a particular breed of black sheep that around that they, they made these special clothes that made out of this glossy black wool. It was, you know, this custom thing. It made Laodicea like the Louis Vuitton capital of the ancient world. I don't know if you caught this. I caught this yesterday. You saw this. October 30th, you can get your very own Louis Vuitton face shield. Selling at only $961. Which we'll take orders later on. It's ridiculous. Anyway, Laodicea was famous for the clothes made out of this glossy black wool. The city was known also for its pharmaceuticals. They had this special eye salve that they would export throughout the entire Greco-Roman world. So they had the medical facilities, they had this great clothing industry going on, but they also had a lot of great financial institutions there as well. So it's like they had Goldman Sachs, they had Dillard's, they had the Mayo Clinic, all in this one city, which made it a very wealthy city, and as a result, a very prosperous church. But again, Jesus, the great physician, was not happy with what he saw in this church. This brings us to our first point, the physician. Look at verse 14. And to the angel, or pastor of this church, of the Laodiceans, write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Stop there for a moment. 
Now again, remember, in each one of these seven letters, Jesus addresses himself with the title in, in which that particular church needs in their lives, in their church. This one's no different. They needed to hear that Jesus is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now often we hear and we use the word Amen, and we kind of use it very casually, and we miss its true meaning. I think we kind of use it as like, like the end, you know, and they lived happily ever after, Amen. But the actual Greek word means, so be it, or let it be so. In the Greek, Jesus often used it in the beginning of his sentence, not at the end, when he would say things like, verily, verily, or, or, or amen, amen. We might say, for sure, or, or absolutely. So by calling himself the amen, Jesus was declaring, what I'm about to say to you is the absolute truth, and it's extremely important that you pay attention. Jesus is called the amen because when Jesus speaks, it is the absolute truth. But he really wants to make this pointer, so he also says he's a faithful and true witness. That means he's going to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, because he is God. In other words, we can be assured that we're not going to hear what we want to hear from Jesus, but what we need to hear from him. Now, that's exactly what you would expect if you're going to the doctors, right? To your physician. If you have a terrible disease, you don't want to hear him say, oh, you're fine, go on home. If you did an operation or some medicine, you don't want him to say, oh, it's nothing, you'll get over, go on home. See, again, by revealing himself as the amen, the faithful and true witness, Jesus is declaring that his diagnosis of their lives is going to be totally reliable. Because no doubt, after hearing what he's about to say to this church, they're not going to be happy with what he has to say. And there would be some that would deny what he was saying. As it is today in our society, we see it all the time when, when people are presented with the truth of God's word. They take it as a personal attack and they will ultimately turn against you. Try it. Speak out on a, against abortion or homosexuality on social media and see if you don't have 20 people attacking you personally. So Jesus is saying, before we can even get to what I'm about to tell you, I want you to know my credentials. I want you to know my authority my doctorate qualifications, if you will, and I'm going to tell you these things. I'm the amen, I'm faithful, I'm true. One more thing he says in verse 14, these things says the beginning of the creation of God. Now that is kind of a weird title in and of itself, one that needs explaining, one that the cults have actually used to twist to teach that Jesus was not really God, he was just a created being, not God in the flesh. But interesting, this actually speaks the opposite. Jesus here is correcting a heresy that was apparently in the church of Laodicea as it was in Colossae that Christ was this created being. So Jesus says, listen, I am the originator of God's creation. I am the beginning. The word beginning in the Greek is the word arche, which means first or chief. It's there in John 1, 1. That we read in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then Colossians 1.15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So that as a man, Jesus had a beginning. He was born in Bethlehem. But as God, he always was. He, he, he was the beginning. 
See, Jesus is giving the description of himself to a church that had lost touch with the reality of who Jesus is. He's given this description of himself so they would know that he knows everything about them. You know, for the most part, even great doctors have to ask a lot of questions uh, to determine what exactly is wrong with you or I. And through a series of deductions, you know, to the best of their training and schooling, they will come up with a diagnosis. They'll say, well, it looks like it might be this. Sometimes they're spot on and sometimes they're way off. It's been said that's why it's called practicing medicine. Well, Jesus here, in a sense, is saying there's no series of deductions going on here to try and figure out what's wrong with you. I know what's going on. In fact, I know everything about you. He has an accurate understanding of your spiritual condition. And because of who he is, he can do something about it. Isn't that the kind of doctor you want? I think of that AT&T commercial, you know, where the man is in the hospital bed and his wife is standing next to him and the nurse, he asked the nurse, have you ever worked with Dr. Francis? And she said, yeah, he's okay. Just okay. Then the doctor comes walking through the door and says, guess who's got it reinstated? Oh, no. And then he says to the man in the hospital bed, are you nervous? And he says, yeah. And the doctor says, yeah, me too. And then that is not the doctor you want. I mean, how would you like to go into surgery and, and have the doctor say, you know, I've never done this before, but hey, you know what, I'm a good guy, and, and hey, let's, let's give it a shot. It'd freak me out. I'd be out of there. I wouldn't even be in there. Why? Because you want the very best doctor that can possibly get, you can possibly get to do that surgery, one very capable. And Jesus, the great physician, he's the best doctor there is. He's the only one capable of dealing with our spiritual condition. He's a specialist because he created us. Who knows more about something that, that he's created than the one who created it? So he gets right to the problem. This brings us to point number two, the patient. And here Jesus lists the diseases, if you will, that are plaguing this body of believers, these patients. And I might add, this is the only church that Jesus had nothing good to say about it. Look at verse 15. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot, I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Whoa. It's really quite a sad thing that the Lord had nothing good to say about this church. He said, well, he says, I know your works in verse 15. Yeah, but these are just meaningless gestures is what he's saying. He's saying that there's no spiritual value behind them, much like the cult groups today and all their, their good deeds just have no spiritual value. Now, what's interesting is that the archaeologists, guys who study archaeology, they discovered a, a interesting fact about the church of Laodicea. The city itself did not have its own natural water source. It had to be carried in through aqueducts. And one aqueduct came from Colossae, which were the cold springs, and the cold water came in that way. The other aqueduct came from Hierapolis, which were the natural hot springs. The problem was, by the time it got to, to Laodicea, it didn't matter what source it came from. By the time it got to them, it was lukewarm. It was unfit to drink. So the Lord here uses this lukewarm water of Laodicea as an analogy for the, the character of the church. And he says, here's your problem. Verse 16, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. 
This word vomit, it's not spew, it means a violent reaction. It's so disgusting to Jesus Christ that he wants to get you away from him. I will never forget, many years ago, the time we only had two of our five kids. I think Laura was probably five and my son was, was Chris was three, and they were both sick with the flu. I just put Christopher in his bed, and, uh, and uh, you know, I, I was, you know, kind of walking, and Lisa was on the couch. She said she wasn't feeling well as well. And, and so I go to get Laura, and I go to bring her into her room, and about halfway to her room, she spewed. Let's just say she spewed, okay? Then I hear Christopher, Dad, I don't feel so good, and I hear him spew all over the bed. So I'm thinking, oh, no. So I go into the living room, and there's Lisa with the bowl on the couch, and she's spewing in the bowl. I'm going, no, 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 no. I don't know if you as a parent ever wanted to just walk out of the house and just be away, just, just, just for a few moments. That was one of those times. But you see, the question we have to ask ourselves is, in my life, is, it, is my life making God sick to his stomach? I find it interesting that when the Lord looks at the apostasy of the church in Thyatira, he became angry. He says, I will come against her. But when he looks at the church of Laodicea, of indifference, he becomes ill. And he really, we see three reasons for this sickness in the church. It starts off with compromise, then it moves to self-sufficiency, and then you end up with self-deception. The compromise first, think about it. How do you get lukewarm water from a faucet? You know, if it's got two handles, you make turn on the cold and turn on the hot, and you get lukewarm water. Or you put the one thing, you kind of get it in the middle there. And that's what happens. The result is lukewarmness. Same thing with, with lukewarmness occurs when we seek to live our lives in the middle. With one foot with the Lord and one foot in the world. Because we have too much of the Lord to be satisfied in the world and too much of the world to be satisfied in the Lord. And, and the lukewarm person does something that displeases the Lord. There, there, there may be conviction, but they just ignore it. And each step of compromise moves them further and further away from their relationship with the Lord. And to the lukewarm person, the Bible, even Jesus, is merely a small part of their lives instead of the very reason they live and move and have their being. It means they've lost their passion for the things of the Lord. They've become indifferent. They've become apathetic. They reached a place where they were just going through the motions. They were unmoved by the things of the Lord. Indifferent about the cross of Christ, the word of God, and the condition of the lost people around them. They weren't burning hot for, in passion for the Lord. They, they were totally dead and cold. They, 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 they weren't totally dead and cold. They were somewhere in between. Again, it made them lukewarm. And Jesus says, that makes me sick. I'd rather you be cold or hot. Why cold or hot? Well, if you're cold, hopefully one day you'll see your need for Jesus and come to him out of that state of rebellion and put your faith and trust in him. If you're hot, you're right where you need to be. But again, the tricky thing about being lukewarm is it makes you, I've heard this phrase before, a mugwump. A mugwump is one who sits on a fence and the mug is on one side and, and the wump is on the other side. You're a mugwump. God doesn't want mugwumps doesn't want lukewarm people. He wants you to decide. Either go for it or forget it. Now remember, Jesus' words to the seven churches speak prophetically to the last day's church. So is this not the condition that we're seeing in our modern church today? People just going through the motions, no burning passion for the things of the Lord, no burning passion for God's word or obedience to his word. I would say it's a perfect description of the church today. It's, it's apathy. 
They're not exactly dead, not exactly cold, because they're, they're, they're praying, they're preaching, they're singing, and all. But Jesus, the real Jesus, as we'll see, is on the outside looking in. So the church may be, appear to be on fire, it's just, just a dud, it's all smoke and no flame. The focus really isn't on Jesus, they're somewhere in the middle of the road. Listen, how can you hear about Jesus, his love for your soul, his death for you, and all that he's done for you, and remain unmoved? How can you know him and, and never be moved by that relationship? I like what John Stott wrote these words about the Laodicean church, and this was many years ago. He says, the Laodicean church was a half-hearted church. Perhaps none of the seven letters is more appropriate for the church today than this. It describes vividly the respectable, sentimental, nominal, skin-deep religiosity, which is so widespread among us today. Our Christianity is flabby and anemic. We appear to have taken a lukewarm bath of religion. Wow. You know, the church is not a country club operating for the benefit of its members. It's not a performing arts center with great dramatic productions and heartwarming speeches and wonderful music. Neither is the church focus a political action group or a protest movement. But politics is important. The church is all about Jesus Christ. We preach Him, Christ, and Him crucified. That's what the should be. The should church should be about. It's all about Jesus. But that's not where this church was at. It's interesting that the word Laodicea means judgment of the people. Or to put it loosely, the people's rights. And today, instead of, uh, of you know, people submitting themselves to the judgment of the Word of God, submitting to the Word of God, we have people submitting to the Word of God to their own judgment. Oh, God's Word doesn't really mean this. Even though it says that, it, what, it, what, it's still okay if I do this. It really, it's not, that's not what it's saying. And sin is justified by denying the Word of God. And the church has drifted away from biblical truth and has turned to whatever man says is truth. It is the age of compromise within the church. And it has become lukewarm, nauseating in the eyes of the Lord. Once it was unheard of for professing Christians uh, that they would even suggest that killing unborn babies is, is something that can be condoned. Or that practicing homosexuality should be ordained in, in the ministry. Yet these things are taking place today in the church at accelerating rates. So compromise was the first problem. The second problem in this church was self-sufficiency. Look at verse 17. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. So they were a church that really thought they had it together. They thought they were really better off than they really were. They had elevated themselves to this high place of position, an elevated view of themselves. Now, whenever you or I may feel self-important and have that elevated view of ourselves. We just need to remember what the mother well said to her baby well. When you float to the top and start to blow, that's when you get harpooned. The Laodiceans thought they were self-sufficient. They thought they could take care of themselves. They had enough truth to put them in a self-satisfied state. And the reason they were in that place was because of compromise, self-sufficiency, and the third reason they were in this place was because of self-deception. Compromise and self-sufficiency leads to self-deception. They were self-deceived. Because Jesus says, you say, I'm rich, become wealthy, and have need of nothing. But he goes on in verse 17 to say, you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. How could Jesus have such a completely opposite view of what they had of themselves? 
Well, it's because they were being, being measured by two different standards. I might ask you today, well, what do you think the temperature is outside? And you would say, well, the thermometer says it's 68. But I might check another thermometer and you say, no, you're wrong. It says it's 20. Now, the truth is we would both be right because one thermometer was Fahrenheit and the other was centigrade. 20 and centigrade is 68 in Fahrenheit. If you use two different standards of measurements, you will never be able to agree on what the true temperature is. That's what was happening here. They're being measured by two different standards. Laodicea Church was being measured by the standards of the world. By the world standards, they thought they were doing great. A pleasant church, a comfortable church, people coming to the church, approved by the community all around them. But Jesus is using the standard of what he intended his church to be like. They said, hey, we're wonderful. Jesus said, no, you're wretched. They said, hey, we're marvelous. Jesus said, no, you're miserable. Jesus said, they said, hey, we're prospering. Jesus says, no, you're poor. They said, hey, we're something to look at. Jesus says, you're blind. Hey, look at our designer clothes. Jesus says, you're naked. You see, to be lukewarm is to be blind to your own spiritual condition. You're self-deceived. That's why lukewarmness, if that's a word, is the most dangerous of all spiritual sicknesses because the person doesn't realize they're sick. They have, they're self-deceived having enough religion to inoculate them to the truth. It's been said that the best vaccination against the gospel is the gospel heard but not heeded. They are, as G. Campbell Morgan said, an evangelized non-believer. And that, that's a problem with the lukewarmness. It's a self-satisfied condition in which a person thinks that they, they have it all and they know it all and they see it all. And that Jesus here says you're blind. You know, the word he uses here for blind is that you are deliberately closing your eyes to the truth. You say you have clothes on, but you really have no clothes on at all. Even though they were known for the, that city for their fashion, for the clothing, at the time, they're the beautiful wool. Jesus said, no, you're not even wearing clothes right now. I think of the, the story that Hans Christian Andersen told about the emperor's new clothes. Remember that story? You know, the emperor, you know, he wanted, he's so vain. He said, you know, I, I want, you know, goes to the television, make me this, this garment that everyone's going to go, whoa, look at you. And, and so they said, all right, we'll have it for you soon. And he came back and they hadn't done anything with the garment for him. But they lied to him. And they said, oh, yeah, 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 this material just came in, sire. Here it is. And they pulled out this imaginary piece of material. And they acted like they were holding it up. You see it? You see, only a king, only those who are fit, you know, for their position can see this. In fact, if you can't see this, then you're stupid. King says, oh, I see it. All his king's lords around him said, we see it too. Yeah, it's right there. And they, they, they drape over him this non-existing material. And, they, you know, the, the tailors begin to continue to, to cut and sew and make these little, you know, alterations to it. And then he's so excited. He says, I want to go out and show my whole kingdom. And he walks out wearing no clothes at all. And all the kings, you know, the men with them, they march out in their royal possession and everyone is clapping, you know, uh, seeing the obvious, but no one wants to say anything. Finally, one little boy says, Mommy, why is the king naked? They're busted. See, nakedness speaks of shame. It speaks of humiliation. This church in Laodicea and all their self-righteousness, oh, we have the finest clothes. Jesus says, you're, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't stop here? You're miserable, poor, blind, and naked. God bless you. Have a great week. Doesn't do that. You know, here's my bill. It'll be $700 you're making a pay. No. See, he has the credentials to say who he is, make the diagnosis, 
And now he'll give us a prescription. He'll give us what we need to do in order to, to heat up this lukewarm church. Point number three, the prescription. How do you heat up a lukewarm church? Well, for the church in Ephesus, if we recall, Jesus said, get back to your first love relationship. Go back to the beginning when you first loved the Lord. Start doing those things. The church of Smyrna, if you remember, they were heated up through the fire of persecution. And as the persecution heated up, so did the church. I think in California right now, they're on fire, so to speak, physically. I mean, the whole state is. Uh, but they're also, they've experienced fire through the persecution of the government there, the state. Wanting to close down churches and you can't worship and you can't gather together and you can't even gather outside and, 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 and it's heating up. And, but you know what? It's experiencing revival. Reminiscent of the Jesus movement of the 70s. Man, it's happening. But Jesus tells this church here in verse 18, something different's going on with you guys. You're kind of apathetic. So there's a, there's a different prescription for them. And he says it in verse 18. I counsel you. Here's the prescription. You to buy for me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Four different medications written for this church. And we can read it pretty clearly because it's not in the doctor's handwriting. He's using the business language, if you will. You know, he said, you guys are all about business. You're all about buying and selling. I'm going to use your language for a moment. You know, it, it, it's like someone saying, you know what? You have all of these things, all of these possessions, but, but you need to be making some spiritual investments. What's the first prescription he writes? Prescription A, buy for me gold refined in the fire. Now, that, that obviously, refiner's fire, we, we've talked about this before. They would take the gold out of the mines and they would put it in this big pot. They would heat it up until it liquefied and they would scrape off the impurities off, impurities off the top until they could actually see your reflection in the gold there. In the same way, these people who are impure, carnal, and lukewarm, Jesus challenges uh, that as a refiner to allow him to heat up their lives, allow him to work in their lives to get the impurities out of their lives so that Jesus would be reflected in and through their lives. See, the church, they had put their, their faith in their own wealth and sufficiency, and they had ceased to depend upon the Lord. They had ceased to live by the refined gold of faith in Jesus Christ alone. Oh, why pray? I'll just, you know, I'll just write a check. Why seek the Lord? I'll just take, take a couple of Tylenol. Why do what the Bible says? I'll, I'll just get a divorce. No, Jesus said, allow me to refine your life. Depend on me. Put your faith back in me. Buy from me gold refined in the fire. That's the first prescription. Next prescription, verse 18, Jesus also says, prescription B, put on white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. A city known for its black woolen garments, Jesus says, you need to be clothed in white garments. Now we know white garments speak of the righteousness of Christ. Jesus is saying, you no longer need to be clothed in your own self-righteousness, which according to Isaiah, is like filthy rags in the sight of God. But rather, we need to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ himself, a perfect righteousness that God accepts. You know, every one of us is, is, is born morally naked before God. And I think of, of uh, Adam and Eve there in the garden. After they sinned, they sold the fig leaves together. They hid their nakedness uh, in their own way. But nothing is hidden from God. Every one of us knows something about ourselves that we would not want anyone else to know. But God knows. 
and he sees our nakedness. And what does he offer for it? The righteousness of Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, the strength to turn away from it. Paul tells us in Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. How many believers today are just making provision after provision to fulfill their flesh? But they're making no provision to go into the, God, into the presence of the Lord. God tells us to put Christ first in our life, to get out the Word of God and get into the Word of God and start walking in the Spirit. And that's the third prescription in verse 18. Prescription C, anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Again, a city known for, for the healing eye ointment that helps cure vision problems and eye infections. Jesus says what they really need is for him to anoint their eyes spiritually so they could see. What, do this, what does this anointing of the eye speak of? I believe it refers to the Holy Spirit. And getting back to being led and sensitive to the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit in your life. Seeing God moving and working in your life once again. Getting back to listening to the Holy Spirit's voice in your life. My wife and I were talking about this and we were remembering some times uh, in the past. Uh, years ago, I went to Russia on a mission trip. And uh, you know, because of the time difference, it was like 12 o'clock in the afternoon uh, here, but it was like midnight in Russia. And I was on a train going from Moscow to Nizhny Novgorod, a little city in, in Russia, and uh, as I got on the train and into the little cabin there, the little car that we had there, the guy that was helping us out, he said, I want you to shut the door. I want you to put your belt around the handle and the other side of the door here. And I want you to put a towel at the bottom of the door because we've had these Russians coming in. If they know you're American, they'll put sleeping gas underneath your, your doorknob and they'll knock you out and they'll rob you. I thought, oh, this guy's kidding. You know, surely he's not serious. But I put the towel underneath the door and I put the rope, you know, the belt around the door thing. And well, I get back from, from the trip and Lisa says to me, what happened Thursday night when you were in Russia? It's the middle of the afternoon and, 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 I, and the Lord just said, you need to pray for Tom right now. I said, well, okay, that, that would be Thursday night when we were in Russia and we we're going from one city to the next city. I mean, that, that's the Holy Spirit being led by the Spirit. The Spirit touching heart saying, okay, here's something you need to do. Another time uh, we talked about, we were up in uh, East St. Louis with uh, my son Joey for a baseball tournament that he was having. And they didn't have a, a uh, snack stand there. And this, I like the snacks. So I hopped in my car and was going to this gas station around the corner. And, and uh, it was kind of busy. And, and, and I thought, you know, all of a sudden I sense this uneasiness. I'm thinking, there's something going on here. But like the Lord told me, Back your car in so you can get out quick. I said, all right. So I back my car in and I'm standing in line with my chips or whatever. And, and, uh, and, I, and I'm thinking, I'm just going to pay with cash so I can get out of here fast. If I use my car, it might be too long. So here's a car. And I got out of there and I left. I got back. I said, no, it was really weird. I didn't think anything of it. Well, a guy that was with me he said, hey, you forgot my peanuts. I said, he said, but I'll go get it. So he goes back there like 15, 20 minutes later. There was a shooting. There was a guy that was shot and killed right there at that gas station. I'm thinking, Whoa, Lord, thank you, Lord. Because it's being sensitive to the Spirit and it's leading. If you're walking in the Spirit, you're going to be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit and you're going to see that God has a way of leading us. And that's what it's about. Here Jesus says to the city that was famous for eye medicine to come to him and receive the medicine so that they can see clearly and spiritually what's going on in their lives. You know, this salve 
also speaks of the work of the Spirit, which enables us, enables us to see our spiritual condition. Psalm 119, verse 18, the psalmist writes, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. When Jesus was healing the blind man in the Gospel of John, the religious rulers wanted to know who did this to him. And I love the blind man's reply in John 9.30. He said, the man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. We need to pray, Lord, open my eyes and look deep into my heart and show me, Lord. If there's something in there that needs to be removed, something I need to deal with. David prayed the same prayer in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my anxieties, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That leads to our final prescription, verse 19, which really is required for the other three to work properly. Prescription D, Jesus says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chase, and therefore be zealous, and repent. This church has grown indifferent to the Lord, but although it made him sick, and although he had the strongest, harshest words for this church, he wasn't indifferent towards them. Now, why is that? Because he loved them. He loved them. You know, in the story when my wife and all the kids were sick all at once, you know, when they got sick, I didn't walk out the door. I didn't say, you know, fend for yourselves. I'm out of here. No, I ministered to them and wiped up the puke and cleaned everything. Why? Because I like that stuff? No, because I love them. I care for them. A better translation of verse 19 would be, As many as I dearly, tenderly love, I tell their, tell their faults and convict and convince and reprove and chasten. I discipline and instruct them. Why does the Lord correct us when we're doing wrong? Why does the Lord confront us when we're in sin? Why? Because He loves us. Listen, when God distances you, in other words, when you cross that line as a Christian, and you do something that you know you shouldn't do, and you feel the tug of a conviction in your heart, and you feel the guilt maybe after you've done something wrong, perhaps you get caught in that wrong thing and what you're doing, and you have to face the consequences. Understand, that's the Lord. That happens because not because God is not against you. God is for you. Not because God hates you, but actually because God loves you and He wants you to get better. So He disciplines His kids. Hebrews 12.6 tells us the same thing. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. Or the way the New Living Translation puts it, the Lord disciplines those He loves and He punishes each one He accepts as His child. Think about this. Have you ever seen a, a child act up in a restaurant, you know, or in a store, and, and they're, they're just throwing a fit, and they're screaming, ah, you know, and all this stuff is going on, and, and the parents are just going on and talking like everything's fine, and you're going, okay, someone needs to discipline that child. Now, it's not your position to go and discipline that child. You may like to. You may really, really want to, but you better not. You'll be in big trouble. Why? Because that's not your kid. But if it's your kid, it's not only your, your responsibility to discipline your own child, it's your role. And if you don't, then you're an irresponsible parent. So in the same way that we discipline our children, but we don't discipline someone else's kids, that's the same way it is with God. If I'm facing discipline in my life, it's a reminder that I'm a child of God. 
Now, the most dangerous place to be in is getting away with your sin without any sense of guilt, any sense of shame. If you can go out and, and, and do something that the Bible says you shouldn't do and not feel any guilt or any conviction, that concerns me. If you can go and have sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend, have that affair and somehow in your mind, rationalize it and say, well, you know, God is okay with it. If you can look at porn and say, it's no big deal, everyone does it, then that really concerns me. If you can divorce your spouse without any biblical grounds whatsoever, if you can go out on a weekend or, or any time and get drunk and wake up with a hangover and say, oh yeah, isn't this great to be a Christian, and you feel no guilt whatsoever, any remorse, something is seriously wrong with you right now. And that should scare you a little bit and you should really reevaluate your relationship with God. But again, if you find yourself in that moment, you start to cross that line. You know you shouldn't be doing it. And immediately you sense, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. Then you're in a good place. In the sense that it's indication you're God's kid. Listen, Jesus loves us so much. He's going to tell us the truth. And he's going to give us the power to change. And that's what he's doing here with his church of Laodicea. And what he's doing with us. Uh, practically as a church and personally. That's why the final prescription is in verse 19 when Jesus says, Therefore be zealous and repent. A better translation of that would be, let them repent at once and irrevocably. Let them continue always to be fired with zeal. And that's the key to heating up a lukewarm church. Let them repent at once and irrevocably. Let them continue always to be fired with zeal. In other words, get fired up. Start doing those things once again for the Lord. Now, why the emphasis on doing it at once? Because a lukewarm person is pretty far down the road. They usually don't want to hear these words. But if they can hear what the Lord is saying here, He says to them, in effect, you better act now on this before it's too late. Repent at once. Don't wait. Don't do it in a week. Don't do it in an hour. Don't do it in ten minutes. Right now, repent and get back and fired up your life again spiritually. And Jesus says, I'm a gentleman. I'm asking politely. Look at verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. He doesn't say, Behold, I'm going to huff and puff and blow the door down. No, he says, I'm knocking. Now this verse is often quoted for uh, to a non-believer. And I've quoted it many times myself. And I think it's entirely appropriate to say to someone who is not yet a born-again believer, a Christian, Jesus is standing at the door of your life. And if you will hear his voice... And open the door, he will come in. Because becoming a Christian is having Christ come in and take residence in your life. The Bible says, for as many as received him, he has given them the power to become sons of God. But listen, just because a person is in church, doesn't mean Christ is in them. And these words were spoken to the church. A warning, as we've looked at already, you can be an evangelized non-believer. You can be a lukewarm person. You can be a person who attends church but doesn't have the Lord living in you. Jesus says, hey, come dine with me. In other words, let's have this relationship together. Let's have this fellowship together. Two things he's saying here. Wake up. Understand I'm on the outside of your life needing to be on the inside. And secondly, he says, the doorknob's on the inside. You've got to open it yourself. I'm not going to bust it down. You've got to invite him to have free access to every room in your life, every, uh, every aspect of your life. 
I mean, he knows about it anyway. You can't hide anything from him. Let him have control over it. Maybe this morning, the Holy Spirit has been speaking to your heart about your lukewarm condition. And you realize maybe he's been standing on the outside and he's knocking. Open the door. Let him in. Repent. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've fallen away. I've gone down that path of lukewarmness. I need to get back with you. I need to recommit my life to you. Maybe you're still a non-believer. You've never experienced what it is to know him. And he's knocking and he wants to come in your life today. I say, open that door. Let him in. Listen, if you turn away from his knocking, you'll remain lost. And eventually, if you never repent, you will enter eternity lost forever. And that's not the place the Lord wants you to end up. That's why he closes with this, out his letter with this, and we'll close with this, verse 21 and 22. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes simply means to him who has truly committed their hearts and lives to serving Jesus Christ faithfully. To him who has received the forgiveness of their sins, have committed their hearts and lives to me, Jesus says, we're going to crawl up on his lap and we're going to sit next to him for all eternity. See, understand, folks, there's a common thread that runs through all of these letters to the seven churches. It's our future, our destiny, our lives are linked to what we do with Jesus Christ. Our present relationship with Jesus Christ uh, affects our future destiny. May we take the lessons we've learned from these seven letters to the seven churches and apply them to our lives personally. It's time to turn up to the heat. If you're like the church of Ephesus, don't forsake your first love no matter what. Remember and repent. If you're like the church of Smyrna, when you are under persecution and poverty stricken, be faithful. If you're like the church of Pergamos, don't be sexually or spiritually immoral. Don't compromise. If you're like the church of Thyatira, don't tolerate false teaching. Avoid apostasy. If you're like the church of Sardis, don't be content to have a reputation only. Be alive. If you're like the church of Philadelphia, Jesus wants you to to have more power to endure. Keep his word. And finally, if you're like the church of Laodicea, Jesus has opened the door. Allow me to invade your life. Folks, it's time to turn up the heat. Either you do it, or Jesus will because he loves you that much. And many, many Christians are compromising today things they never would allow in their lives when they first came to the Lord. They're now embracing. They're now justifying. And if you take your time to study these seven churches, you'll see what, that what began with leaving that first love relationship leads to full-scale idolatry, leads to Jesus being on the outside knocking to come back in. I'll start with compromise. A little compromise here, a little compromise there. No one overnight decides to walk away from the Lord. It's just a small compromise here and a little there. Till you get to the point where Jesus is knocking, say, hey, behold, I send to the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. Listen, as we close, if you find yourself in that place this morning, on the out, Jesus on the outside, open the door. Invite him in. Recommit your life to Him. Commit your life to Him. Either way, Jesus is knocking. He wants to have full reign in your life. He who has an ear to hear, let Him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for this time this morning. Thank You for Your Word. And Lord, I think it's so easy to think and look at other people's lives and say, well, they are are doing this and they're doing that, Lord, but 
Lord, these letters were written to us personally. And we have to ask ourselves the question, Lord, do I need to return to my first love, Lord? Do I need to, Lord, am I lukewarm in my relationship with you? Are there areas in my life that I've compromised in? But I think it's no big deal. Lord, help us as we close to examine our hearts and our lives. And Lord, if there is any wicked way in us, Lord, search our hearts. Help us to see. Help us to turn from it. And just recommit our lives to you this morning. Father, I pray if there's anyone here that that is yet to commit their lives to you, they don't know you, Lord, that they would make that first time commitment to you as well. Turn from their sin and turn to you today. Lord, thank you for this time, Lord. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And as the other half of the worship team walks up to do a last song, let's all stand. brought me out of darkness filled me with peace giver of mercy you're my help in time of need Lord I can't help but sing faithful you are All your promises are yes and amen. All your promises are yes and amen. Beautiful Savior, Pull me from the ashes, broken every curse. Blessed Redeemer, you have set this captive free. Lord, I can't help but sing faithful you are. Faithful Forever you will be faithful you are. All your promises are yes and amen. Faithful you are. Faithful forever you will be faithful All your promises are yes and amen. All your promises are yes and amen. All your promises are yes and amen. Amen. So be it. I love that song. Now a little heads up, a little sneak preview. 
Next Sunday, we're going to look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Verse 1 of chapter 4 says this, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Now, I shared this last week. Next weekend is a celebration of Rosh Hashanah. It's a feast of the trumpets. Wouldn't it be cool? I'm just saying. Listen, listen, listen to 1 Corinthians. One more. Behold, I tell you, mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. So maybe. <laughs> Next Sunday, say, it could happen right now. It'll happen. Maybe it'll happen before then. It could. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not setting dates. I'm just saying. Come back next Sunday. We'll see what happens. (laughs) God bless you guys. Have a great week.